Okay, you guys doing good this morning? Let's jump in. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands. If you have a Bible, let's see it. Hold it up, let me see. Or if you're using your phone today, we are jumping into Ephesians chapter 1. And this church, we're all about transformation. And we want to see the city, our region transformed, but it starts with individuals being transformed. The greatest way we can be transformed is through the renewing of our minds that begins with Scripture. And so the Bible is living and active. The Scripture says about itself that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. So do not cut yourself this morning on your Bible, but we're going to dive right on in and let it transform us. Just a couple of things, though, that I want to tell you before we're getting into the meat of our topic is what God's doing in our area. I went to several meetings on Thursday and Friday that just were indicators that God's stirring in our region. First of all, I went to the first East County Mayor's Prayer Breakfast. There's a lot of the members of this church that are from East County. Incredible to see all these elected officials along with business leaders, along with pastors and people from churches coming and starting to just believe God for transformation. That's what the meeting was all about. People actually prayed at this meeting. So it was really something to hear a mayor get up and proclaim that he's a born-again believer and wants to see Jesus transform a city. That was just awesome to hear about. Then we followed it up that evening with a, a joint prayer meeting of about 20 churches at Journey Church on Thursday night that Several of us got up and led prayer. Stephen, our worship leader, uh, was one of the three worship leaders. If you were there, give me a little wave. Let me see who was there. We had a great turnout from all peoples. It was awesome. Stephen, by the way, is recording an album this weekend. Didn't Jonathan do a great job leading worship? So we have a very deep bench of worship leaders. Dana was one of our worship pastors for a while. Gino is learning to sing, still working with him, trying to help him with his voice. But I think he'll get it pretty soon. Um, so just great things going on. Then Friday, went to a, a luncheon with senior pastors where a, a pastor of a really large church was talking about his encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit and walking his church into that. And there were all these pastors praying for each other. It's just a really great time to be in San Diego County right now. God's moving. And it's exciting to be a part of that. And I've had a lot of people share with me that they're, they're really... Uh, have an anticipation as we dive into the book of Ephesians because this is an important book for us to learn every good thing we have in Christ. We don't want to just, you know, sit down at the table but not start feasting. And so in this book, we're feasting on what God's doing. So if you'd look with me at verse 7 is where we're going to start. We're going to pick up where we left off. At this rate, we'll be done with this book by 2020. So start with me in, in verse 7. It says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him, who works out everything, say everything, everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. I'm going to, in a moment, have Russell Allen come up and we're going to do an interview with him because his life so personifies some of these scriptures we're talking about. But I need to lay some 
foundational work, some groundwork before we bring him up. And, and the first comes in this, this phrase, in him. If you have a pen, underline, underline that in your Bible or put the little highlight thing in your iPhone. In him. And then you also saw this phrase, in Christ. They're, they're used uh, and exchangeable in, in the scripture. And I, I need to highlight this because the whole book of Ephesians could really be summarized in two words in him. Say in him. Very good. When we're saved, we're not brought into a religion. That's why I, I seldom ever say I'm a Christian. Because when people think about the word Christian, they think about a religion. And what Jesus did was he brought us into a relationship. He brought us into a relationship where we are in the Father. This past weekend, my wife was gone speaking at a conference in Boston, so I had all four kids. Look, I'm still living. It's awesome. And, I, and by the way, man, you moms are incredible. We're going to celebrate you next week and Mother's Day. My proposal is that we have Mother's Month after, you know, this weekend is four kids. So, but, but here's, here's what we did. I planned a special weekend. We went camping up in, in, the, in the mountains on Saturday night. We had a movie night. It's because I want my kids to know that I enjoy them. I enjoy being with them. And I also want them to know that their dad has adventures for them. And he wants to pour out blessing. And the, the amazing thing is it's not just a good weekend, but my kids receive all kinds of blessings because they are with me. They, they have food. They have shelter. They have opportunities. Because they are in me. And, and I want you to know that when God brought you into his family, that you're in him. This isn't some organization. It's not some institution. It's all about a relationship. Every moment of every day, you're in him. One of the things that my kids have because they live life with me is they have a lot of animals. I'm an animal lover. I confess. Now, I, I'm not like an animal lover, 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 you know, like don't, I don't want to be judged up here. So let me just explain because there's like animal lovers and then there's like animal lovers, right? So I'm not like the house on the block that has 20 cats. That's not me. I don't, I don't want to be known as the cat man. You know, that's, cats are okay. I had a couple cats for two days, but that's, uh, but, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not against cats. But, but I don't want, like, you know, and I'm not like Dr. Doolittle that has a mouse in my pocket and iguana in my drawer and, you know, birds under my hat. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, I'm like your average ordinary animal lover. Like I have one dog, you know, and then I have a fish and I have four chickens and five chicks and two alpacas. I'm a normal <laughs> kind of animal lover, right? And, and so I, I've had some wounding with like animal lover, lover, lovers, you know, so that's, that's why my, my, my dog... Uh, ran away in, in this neighborhood that I was living in. Man, people were really into dogs. So I'd be out walking my dog with my four kids, and people would walk up and go like, oh, how beautiful. And I'd be like, thanks, yeah, my kids are cute. And they're like, what breed is it? I'm like, hey, you know, let's talk about my kids, you know, not my dog. So, so people were into one, one day my dog ran away. And so, you know, like the dog lover I am, I put posters up everywhere, and I started getting calls like crazy. And I'd be like, you found my dog? No, no, we're just calling to check on you. I'm like, wow. 
These are like sincere people. And then I get a call and someone found my dog and I was so excited. She brings my dog. She's like, I just love your dog. Like I actually, you know, I found it on the street and just had it sleep with me last night. And I was like, weird, psycho. You know, I'm like, if you want to like have your dog in your bed with you, that's fine. But I kind of felt like a little awkward about her. Anyway. Um, so, you know, like an animal lover, on, on Easter weekend, I went to the feed store to get some more chicks for my kids. And um, who, who knew that feed stores would actually sell out of chicks on Easter? I don't know what the death and resurrection of the Messiah has to do with, like, a storm on feed store for chicks on Easter. But there was one. So we got these chicks and, and brought them home. And the whole reason, you know, I'm actually going somewhere with this, actually. Uh, the, the whole reason we got chicks is because I wanted my kids to have the experience of nurturing something, of learning to love something and learning to care for it and provide. I think that's a, an area of maturity that we can instill in our children. And, you know, this was something that, that families did in ancient Israel as the children would take care of the young animals. And I want to pick up in a, in a point in Scripture, and you could look with me. We'll put it up on the screen so you don't have to turn there. In Exodus 12, 3, because it's a time where a, a young animal was taken into a home of an Israelite family. It says this, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And this is verse 5. The animals you choose must be a year-old male without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day. So they came in the tenth. They tear for him for four days in the household. <laughs> when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where you eat the lambs. Now, th- it wasn't just go out, get a lamb, and just kill it right there. No, they said bring the little lamb, this cute little, I don't know if you've seen a lamb before. They're really cute. Jonathan Lair has a picture of himself like holding a lamb in his office, you know, the worship leader up here. And I'm always like, Jonathan, that's just so cute, you know. And, and, and so here is they have this lamb. And you know, kids, when they bring an animal into a house, they bond with it real quick. Like dog breeders will, when they're trying to get, you know, sell their last dogs and a family comes and they're like vacillating. Oh, do we want a dog? They'll always be like, no, just take it home and try it out, you know. And they said it. no one ever brings the dog back. It's like the oldest trick in the book, in the dog breeder handbook, right? It's like, ha, ha, we got you, because the kids get attached. And so you know the kids in ancient Israel were attached to these animals, and then it says on the fourth day, kill it. Can you imagine how tragic that was? I'm, I, I don't like to see animals suffer. And so they're seeing this little lamb suffer. The blood comes out, then they take the blood. It's really gross. And they put it over the doorframe of their house. Why? Because here's what it says in verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. You see, the Egyptians were oppressing and they were, they were serving these false gods. And it was very evil. And God's saying, hey, I'm going to bring judgment on these gods because I'm the Lord. And the blood will serve as a sign for you on the houses where you are. And I'll see the blood and I'll pass over you. Now, here's the amazing thing is that... The blood redeemed the people. The blood redeemed the people. As much as it's horrific to talk about the cross and to talk about Jesus being nailed and whipped and blood flowing, you can't have the Christian faith without the horror and tragedy of the cross. 
Because when Jesus poured out his blood, it redeemed us. He paid the price. And so when these lambs were dying, the parents could say, yeah, sin is a very grave thing. But that lamb has paid the price. So when John the Baptist comes on the scene in the New Testament, and he's baptizing people, and all of a sudden Jesus starts walking across the scene, he points and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what the Israelites would have understood is, you know, a, sin, a, a lamb dies for our sins and its blood redeems us. That's what Jesus did when he died for you. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. You cannot save yourself. You would die in your sin, and that's why Jesus died on the cross for you. His blood redeems us. His blood is a ransom. One of the definitions of redemption from the Greek is to pay a ransom. You know what a ransom is. Someone's kidnapped, and and someone pays a huge ransom to bring that person out of bondage, out of captivity. But here's a second definition of, of, of the word redeemed, and it's, Exchanging something meaningful for something meaningless. I have a little iTunes, no, a little Starbucks gift card that someone gave me. You know, this card really is meaningless on its own. Probably a couple cents worth, you know. I mean, I'm a little hot up here, so maybe it could fan me. But that's about all it's good for. But I can take this card and go to a store and redeem it for a cup of coffee. Or you take an iTunes gift card, which is just a card, but you redeem it for something valuable, which is music. And that's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to take our meaningless lives. He doesn't just save us. But then we're in a process of being conformed to his will and having our meaningless lives turn meaningful. And so I've invited my friend Russell Allen to come up. And so come on up to stage, Russell. And I wanted him to share his story with us because God's done an amazing work in his life. And, you know, the... I want just put up the stories just for a second. The last two weeks, Russell was all over the media as a professional athlete who had a tragedy playing. And I told you he, he made it through the tragedies. He's, he's obviously right here with us. But God has been doing an amazing work in his life. And Russ, thanks for joining us this morning. Great yeah, to have you, man. And um, t- take us through kind of how you came to Christ and then ups and downs of that journey. Because I want you to share your story. Sure, yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was, I was born going to church, uh, my parents always wanted us to go to church, they were not believers at that time, um, but always felt like they wanted us to be around good people, uh, and they knew you find good people at a church, so I was there every week, it was part of our routine, um, didn't really mean much to me at first, uh, just kind of what we did, um, and it wasn't until I, in junior high school I uh, got plugged into a, a youth group on Tuesday nights, kind of really a very social thing, hanging out with kids, playing games, having fun. But just over time, going more and more and more, met some friends who, who were, knew much more about it than I did, and I enjoyed their company, wanted to get to know them better. Um, ultimately, came to the realization that I was a sinner uh, and that I needed a Savior and accepted Christ uh, when I was 13 years old. Um, I got, from that point, went, went on into high school, got really, really involved uh, with the church. I had a, a part-time job working at the church, setting up and tearing down services, all the chairs and everything. Uh, so they paid people to do that at your church. <laughs> yeah. Don't say that again. Okay, keep going. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
Anyway, so doing that, I was uh, leading Bible studies at my, my house uh, with all my friends. Um, you know, just try to be as, as involved as I could be. But the thing that I, that I didn't understand at that point was, was how to have a relationship with Christ. I wasn't spending time with God on a daily basis. I wasn't, you know, spending time in prayer, reading the word, uh, wasn't being discipled, any of those things that are so important. And so I didn't really have any foundation to my faith. So when I got into college, uh, moved out on my own, got, you know, surrounded by all that comes with being in college and began to compromise, uh, make exceptions. And it wasn't long before I was, I was completely walked away from my faith. I was partying, drinking, caught up in sexual sin and just kind of all that the world has to offer. Um, and it just, you know, it just didn't feel right, but that's, that's kind of where I yeah, was at. Yeah, and that's, that's where we met. Yeah. So Russell was my next door neighbor when we came and moved and landed right by state campus. And he and his girlfriend and, and several other people had like the biggest athlete party house right next door. Yeah, we did have a few parties. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and here I am like with my little kids going, oh, don't look, you know. Keep... So uh, anyway, uh, that's when we met. And, and then one by one, the girls next door started coming to Christ. I found out later that they thought I was an undercover cop because I have a shaved head, black suburban with tinted windows, and they're like, he doesn't look like a pastor. He looks like an FBI agent or something. So, but we convinced them that we were actually starting a church, and, and so they started coming to the Lord, and then, and then we meet. Um, and and I, I still remember the day you came up to me walking across campus. I'm, I'm riding a longboard across campus by the fields, and, and Russell walks up and is like, hey, Robert. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm totally scared because I'm knowing I'm ruining his party lifestyle. You know, I'm like, the, the girls in the house are coming, and, and he didn't look as sweet back then. I'm sure he was nice, but uh, so anyway, I was scared that, and, and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to get pounded. But yeah, It really wasn't that intense. Yeah, so, you know, he's big. He's scary, right? I mean, come on. And uh, so, we set, so we set up a time. Yeah, uh, so Allie, um, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, she's sitting back there. Um, she, uh, <laughs> we, had, we had talked um, and just realized that there was something different going on over there. Um, you know, we had never really done anything except say hello, exchange pleasantries. Um, but it just, it didn't take long for us to figure out, man, something going on over at that house. And, and we didn't know what it was, but we knew that we wanted to know more. And, and meanwhile, there were a lot of people in that house praying for them, like, all the time to come to the Lord. Here he is, the state the captain of the state football team, you know, Allie was on the soccer team, really influential people, so we're just praying for them. And, and when we set up that appointment, I shot out a prayer email to people all over the nation, you know, please pray today. I think this could be really significant for these guys. Yeah, so we ended up meeting. Um, we, right before the meeting, Allie and I were both kind of getting ready to walk over there, and we're like, I don't know, I kind of think maybe we should cancel, but we, we decided it was the right thing and, and went over there and um, they began just sort of sharing the gospel with us, telling us kind of why they are the way they are, what they believe. Um, and the presence of God was, it was just so real. Um, it was, I mean, it was tangible. My, my uh, alley ended up breaking down in tears, um, I mean, which for me was like a shock. I mean, we'd been dating a few months, and she's not an overly emotional type of person, so I was just like, what the heck is going on here? But uh, yeah, You look at me, you're like, she's never like, done this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. So anyway, she ended up uh, giving her life to Christ that day. Yeah, um, incredible. Yeah, I, I ended up rededicating my life, um, and it was, just, it was just a really, really powerful moment for us. And so then walking out, you told me that you said something to her that yeah, was so, really impacting. Yeah, so I had to get out. Uh, I had to go to a football practice or something, so we, we ended our conversation, and, 
and walked back to, to our house. And before, before I left, I told Ali, I said, you know, I've had experiences like this before where I've had, encountered the Holy Spirit and, you know, it's really emotional and it's really exciting. But if, if you let it, it will fade away. I said, so let's not make this just a day that we look back and say, oh, that was a cool memory. But let's make this a day that changed our lives forever. And, and praise God it did. So. Isn't that incredible? I mean, there's, there, there's people that have an experience. They pray a prayer. They feel touched by God. But then they just walk out and, and nothing ever happens. But there's a time where we partner with God and we say, God, I'm in, and that means through your power I'm going to change my lifestyle. And that's what you started doing, man. I mean, I just started watching. Tell us about how many different things changed because one day here you guys are having these huge parties. There's, like, people walking down the streets in their underwear and just, it was kind of weird. And then I must the, have missed that, that it part. It wasn't you. It wasn't <laughs> you. Um, but, but then the next day, I mean, from that point on, tell us just some of the different things that changed in your life. Yeah, I mean, really... <clears throat> Excuse me. Really, everything changed. Um, you know, I, Rob started discipling me uh, weekly, which you know just really helped me grow, helped me learn how to spend time with God, helped me learn how to pray, just you know hear His voice. Um, and so, as I said, I was living with my girlfriend at the time. Um, I, I had nowhere else to go. I, my lease had expired in my house, and so I was there for the, my last semester of college with nowhere to go. But Rob really challenged me to stop sleeping in her bed with her, and so. I came back, told her about it. Uh, we prayed about it, and we decided that even though it was going to be uncomfortable for, for me and for her and for all the other people living in the house, um, we felt like that was really the right thing for us to do. Um, and so I started sleeping on the couch. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that he did it. You know, <laughs> first of all, I was totally scared to tell him this. You know, I'm like, uh, you know, I just got to tell you, <laughs> kind of like sleeping with your girlfriend's not right, you know. He's like, all right, man, changing. Next day, he's like, yeah, I moved out of the room. I'm like, are you serious? You know, and, and when you start walking in obedience, man, God's power just starts coming on you. And, and, and tell them, keep going. Yeah, tell, so, tell them about the other things that change. Yeah, uh, we started, instead of hosting parties, we started hosting life groups um, at our house. <laughs> the house changes from a party house to a life group house. And, uh, Did you hear that? That was amazing. Yeah, and then shortly after that, I was... Uh, I'm sorry, I should let you talk. Okay, no, no. No, no, go ahead. It's no, your show, man. No, I know it's yours today. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Shortly after that, we're, I'm on campus in, like, the main area of campus where all the athletes come after practice to get their food and get ready for class. I'm, st I'm there wearing a bright red shirt that said, God loves SDSU, handing out the Father's love letter. Um, so, I mean, that was really neat. It was uh, to, for all those people that had partied with me, like, a month prior were seeing me stand there, you know, <laughs> talking about God, uh, which is really neat. Uh, we, we started bringing players from the team during the season into the life group and praying for their injuries, laying hands on them. Uh, you know, so it was, it was really cool. And, and for me, the highlight was before my last game of my college career, I got to stand up in front of my team at the chapel service and really just tell my story, talk about what God had done in my life. Um, and these are guys that had been with me for four years and knew who I was just months earlier uh, and had seen the change in me. And so it was really awesome to be able to tell them why, what was different about me, why, why I had changed and, and what God had done in my life. So it was a really, really awesome time. Yeah, I mean, how, how incredible that... Russell's just like, count me in, I'm all in. All of a sudden he's representing Jesus on campus. Okay, so then you finish the year and, and you're really starting to try to walk with God and you're going into the NFL and that wasn't all just uh, uh, walking the roses, right? Tell, no, tell us a little about not. that story because I know you're trying to walk with God in the midst of that journey. Yeah, so transitioning from college to professional football is different for everyone. You know, some guys are 
top tier first round draft pick guys, so it's just a matter of where they're gonna end up. Then there's guys like myself who are what they consider bubble guys who are, you know, may have a shot, may not, may get drafted, you just don't really know. Um, and so it was a lot time of major uncertainty. I was, we were such a bad team in college for those of you that have been around San Diego State football uh, recently. Well, rather better now, but when I was there, it was, it was a struggle. Um, so that, that, that hindered my uh, exposure, as well as uh, we went to play Notre Dame, uh, which was probably the biggest stage I had played on to date. It was my senior year. It was like, this is my chance to really, you know, show what I can do to the country and get myself uh, noticed. And the night before the game, uh, we're in a team meeting, and the head coach comes over to me and says, well, uh, so-and-so's hurt. He's not going to be able to play tomorrow. Uh, we need you to, instead of playing linebacker like I always do, we need you to play defensive end tomorrow. Uh, without practicing, without really any idea what I was doing, I just had to go out there and wing it uh, in the biggest game, arguably, of, of my career. Um, so just things like that had really uh, hindered my ability to, you know, be noticed by the scouts and all that. So when we went into the draft, we knew that there was, there was likelihood that I may not be drafted. And if you're not, that's, that's when you're given a choice um, as far as which team you want to sign with. But if you're not drafted, then they don't obviously value you the same, so the, it's really important where you choose to go. So when it came down to it, uh, when the draft ended and my name wasn't called, um, we had basically 30 minutes to decide where we wanted to go and, and try and play. Um, I had calls from 12 teams, and they would say, if you hang up the phone, we got to move on. Um, so, you know, we really had to have our homework done. So we had, we had spent the weeks leading up just praying and, and really asking God to lead us on, you know, where do you want us to be? What, what is your will for us? What, what is your plan? I remember you had gathered a group of prayer people and, and you yeah. know, said pray for us at this exact time, undergirding us, yeah, be walking was, wisdom. And during, during the draft, I was in communication with Robin and the whole group and everybody just telling them, you know, this is what's going on. Please pray that God, you know, would just work this out for his glory. And um, so... It ultimately came down to staying here and playing for the Chargers, which would have been like an unbelievable lifelong dream for me. I grew up in Oceanside. I, you know, I've lived here my whole life. It would have been an amazing uh, you know, dream of mine, but it came down to that or going to the other side of the country, playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars where we knew no one or nothing and had no idea what to expect. Um, and when that time came to make that decision, uh, my wife Allie just really felt... God's leadership and just felt like that's where we needed to be. And, and that was amazingly encouraging for me to, I mean, it would have been one thing for me to say that's where I wanted to go because I was going to be the one playing, I was going to be the one doing it. But for her to say, no, I think we need to pick up and move across the country. I mean, she grew up here too. This is where all of our family, all of our support is. So for her to, to have that ability to say, no, let's go, uh, was just so incredibly encouraging. You know, when we're talking about the will of God, I'm, I hope you get this and not just putting Russell in a a separate box as a professional athlete. This applies to all of our life in that we're not just Christians on Sunday. He was taking this and going, okay, how am I going to walk with God through this journey in my professional career? And so he and his wife are praying. He's seeking counsel. We're talking about it. Here he has a group of intercessors praying for him. And then what happens? You know, here's, here's this kind of lifelong dream of I want to play for the Chargers. God speaks something different. And it's going to be a huge risk. You guys don't know anyone. You don't know what it's going to be like. But they have this assurance of God is speaking to, to take this adventure in faith. And so you end up going to, to the Jaguar. I mean, I was like, bummer, man. I went through <laughs> with the Chargers. But yeah. so was it all, uh, you know, was it all this easy once you went to the Jaguars? Pretty much. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, we, so we learned throughout the process that just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's easy. Um, hmm. We were able to, 
go and, and have this opportunity, but I showed up the first day, there's 90 players, of which they only keep 53. Um, so I, and I'm, at, I'm literally probably number 90 <laughs> uh, at that point. So it's one of those things where I show up every day having to give myself pep talks, like, okay, you gotta be at your best today, or today's the last day, you're gonna get cut and sent home. I remember calling Allie two or three days in and just saying, well, I'll be home soon because there was just so many people feeling, you know, I just felt like it was overwhelming. So, you know, over the years, just the stress of, of the job is tough. I mean, it's not what you see on Sundays. Uh, it's not just what you see on Sundays with the, the games and the fans and all that. It's, it's a grind every day of, you know, long work days and stress and, you know, just feeling like, like you're never good enough and everybody's, someone's always nipping at your heels. So it's a real challenge for me. But not to mention, Ali moved with me. Um, and we ultimately had a son there. Um, everyone we knew and loved was here in San Diego, and I'm gone all day long, and she's trying to take care of a baby with really no help or support, and I'm coming home, and when I do come home, I'm exhausted. I can't even hardly make it up the stairs. So, you know, it was a real challenging time for But, for but tell us. us why. I mean, in the end, you all of a sudden realized, here, this is why I'm here in Jacksonville. Yeah, well, we got some amazing opportunities. You know, all, all the while, we're praying just that God would continue to use the platform um, that he'd given us. And so God started opening up doors for us. Um, I, I went to go speak at a uh, juvenile hall um, several times. I would go monthly for, for the first season, um, just sharing the gospel with the kids, telling a little bit of my story, praying for them, praying for their court dates, things like that. Uh, saw numerous kids come to the Lord. Um, we also, Ali and I started a group at a local children's home where we got to go in weekly and, and do worship and I would share a brief message and we would just spend time with the kids, just showing them that we love them, that we like playing basketball with them or I think Ali was painting the girls' fingernails and all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, really just showing the kids that we love them. Um, you know, and I've also had the opportunity to speak to large groups, share my story, um, you know, just really see God's hand on, on all those things. Just opening the doors for us has been amazing. Um, also, I got an opportunity to go, Ali and I got an opportunity to go down to El Salvador um, with another couple that uh, we had known from the team. And they sponsored a child down in El Salvador through Compassion International. So we got to go down and um, meet, meet a girl that we ended up sponsoring, go to her home, you know, pray for her, just kind of see what her life is like. Uh, so we had some uh, really amazing opportunities. Well, and, and from what I understand, you weren't just giving out. You also landed in this environment that you weren't expecting where you were really poured into, right? Yeah, it was amazing. When we got there, it was, like, just amazing to see. We had definitely had chosen the right place. God had definitely led us in the right direction because there was just an unbelievable group of believers. Um, we would have, out of 53 guys on the team during the season, we would have 20, 25 guys at the chapel service. Um, our chaplain had an 11-year NFL career, so he really understood the day-to-day -day life and the struggles and how to walk through that. And he really mentored me um, on, on all of that. And, you know, there was a group, a group of guys that had been eight, nine, ten years in the league that were really rock-solid guys who, who just took the time to, you know, help me learn about what it is. Because this was probably eight months after our initial meeting with Rob. Um, and so, so you guys are, like, brand new trying to walk with Jesus as far away from everybody we know in, like, a really difficult environment. So yeah, God so. just surrounds you with this community. Gives you a, a chaplain that can keep discipling you, investing in you, older players that are modeling. And then I'm just blown away as he's having opportunities to be really the Christian spokesman for the Jaguars. He's like, okay, I'm going on TV. Pray for me on this. Okay, we're speaking at this banquet. Okay, I'm going down on a mission trip. I'm just blown away as God's taking that. And, and once again, apply this to your own life. Don't just go, okay, well, he was an NFL celebrity. No, God wants you to merge your faith into your workplace. Or you students, he, he, he doesn't want you to just be a Christian on Sundays, but to look for opportunities. 
Find the community of believers in your workplace. If it's not there, start it. Start asking God. Start investing in people. Believe for older people that can invest in you. Then look for ways to use your platform. Just like I was talking about with the, the, the mayor and the different city officials. Russ was now taking this into the NFL using his platform to speak for Jesus. Okay, so then you're, you, you make it. You become the st- a starting linebacker. You get a multi-million dollar contract. Things seem to be at the very top. And then all of a sudden, tragedy. Yeah, I was uh, playing in a game this past season um, towards the end of the year, uh, sustained a hit, um, what I thought was probably a mild concussion, uh, foolishly finished the game, um, thinking I was going to be okay. Uh, had a little bit of a headache, woke up the next morning with a headache, uh, so I came in, told the, told the team doctors what had happened, how I was feeling, they investigated further, did some, some testing, uh, come to find out I had had a small stroke. Um, so they immediately admitted me to the hospital, spent the next three days hooking me up to every wire and doing every test you could think of, trying to figure out not what happened, because they could see what happened, but how it happened, what was the cause of it. Um, uh, ultimately, to know, you know, they weren't able to, um, to figure that out. I spent three days there doing all these tests for, for really for, for no reason. Um, and it was just so challenging for us as a family, think, you know, not only wondering, what ha- why did this happen? But then, then wondering, well, am I going to be okay? Is this going to happen again? Was it from a hit, or was it because was it going to happen anyways? You know, just not having any answers was really challenging. Um, then also with wondering, well, am I going to play football again? Is this you know wise for us to continue playing? Is this God telling us it's time to to move on? So we had to spend the next several months just really seeking God um, and His will for us. We we spent time fasting, praying, just just one you know asking God. What, what do you have for us? What is it that you want from us to get out of this situation? Um, and we really started to feel peace that, that this was, in fact, a time of transition for us. Um, this was before we had any answers. This was still, you know, basically in the dark. We felt like, okay, God, you know, it's time for us to, to transition and move on to the next thing that you have for us. Um, and then a few weeks back, uh, found a doctor out here that wanted to repeat some tests, and he was able to find exactly what the cause was. Um, and so then we had the closure that we had wanted, and, and so we knew it was time to move on. Well, and the, and the interesting thing you shared with me is you could, could have kept playing. It could have killed you. This. Yeah, I mean, so the doctor basically said, uh, without getting into too much detail of it, I have an abnormally large artery on the other side. So my neck, there was an artery that was damaged in my neck when my head snapped back, which ultimately cut the blood supply off to my brain. That's what caused the stroke. Well, on the other side, the other artery that feeds the brain, I guess mine is larger than most, and he said that if that wasn't the case, that it's likely that I would have died on the field. Okay, so here, here's, here's where this is tying into the scriptures, Russell, and I'm sure it's clear to everyone that's listening. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So you wouldn't have chosen this, but I mean, I mean the amazing thing is, is all of a sudden, you're all over national media, and in the articles, you're talking about your faith in Christ. You're glorifying him on, on the incredible side. You didn't die. I mean, you could have died. God spared you, got you out. You're, you're doing great. You're healthy. You're, uh, you know, a- and you're, you're glorifying him. So, you know, you don't seem bitter to me. What, what's in your heart that you're not totally frustrated at the height of your career incredible amount of finances coming in, which, by the way, how this guy's lived financially is so cross-cut different than how other guys in the NFL. I mean, the, the second he started in the NFL, he started, 
giving. I remember saying, man, you don't need to give us a penny, but give to, to go get involved in a church, give to a church, give to the poor. You don't need all this money. And he was like, yeah. And so just started giving so radically, giving so generously, giving to the poor as well. Uh, it, that was amazing in itself to watch you. But just kind of go into why are you not angry? Why are you not bitter at God? Well, I mean, it's definitely been a challenge. There's, there's no question. Um, the past five months of, of our life have been, have been challenging. I feel like I was right in the prime of my career. Things were going really well. I was, you know, feeling like, I, you know, I was getting to do all the things I wanted to be doing in my career. It was just, everything was going in the right direction. So it was challenging when it was taken from me. But the thing that I had realized and the thing that I had learned um, is that football does not define me. That it's just, it's what I do. It's, it was my calling. It's where God had me. But my, I'm defined by who I am in Christ, Amen. not by who I am as an athlete. Amen. Um, and so that was huge for me and for my family to say, you know what? Whether I, whether I play again or whether I don't, whether I, you know, make one tackle or whether I never play a game, I'm defined by who I am in Christ. And that was something that thankfully that we had learned, but, you know, we, God had helped us learn before this. And so we were able to, to you know, to kind of rely on that um, through this tough time. That's awesome. Isn't that incredible? I'm, yeah, I'm just so proud of Russell and Allie and how they've lived their life. And, and God gave them a national platform to, to, to speak from that and just to glorify Jesus. And, you know, here's what the last part of this verse says. It says, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. And I, I, when I'm hearing you, I'm like, man, you're, you're not devastated. You're smiling up here because you put your hope in Christ. Your hope wasn't in your career. Your hope isn't in football. I mean, of course, we get wrapped up in those things. But, I mean, what you said in these articles is, man, I learned that my faith in God, my family, there are things that are much higher than football. Football's a game. It gave you a platform. It gave you, it put food on the table, a lot of food on the table. But it, it uh, you know, you put your hope in Christ, and it said, May be for the praise of his glory. And I, I just want to say, and I think we'd all agree, Russell, as a, as a member of this church, we're so proud of you, how you lived your life to bring Jesus glory. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Thanks, bro. Thanks, fam. You know, I, I know so many people in this room Perhaps your life hasn't gone like you want it to. Maybe you lost something. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a dream or a hope and a plan. It's, it's so important for us to believe the scripture that it says that we put our hope in Christ. He works things out for the praise of his glory. But here's one other thing I want to say. Some of you in this room, you're going, man, you know, yeah, Russell and Allie were hearing the Lord and just trying to, to, to abide in him and take each step, and then they end up in Jacksonville, and God gives them this platform. And, you know, I, I've made a lot of mistakes, you're thinking. You know, I, I, my life even today, yeah, I, maybe I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Maybe I'm saved, but my life is not living in accordance with God's will. And, and I was thinking about this yesterday as I was driving in my car using the little GPS system, and I went a different way. What I love is that my GPS didn't say, hey, you idiot, you missed your turn. I instead, it said recalculating. Actually, I have it in a British accent because I like to hear the British, you know. So it, it said recalculating and all of a sudden told me a new path to get back to my final destination. 
And what I want to tell you today is that you need a GPS, a God positioning system. You, you need to start listening to that, that God positioning system where you say, man, I've been walking one way and yeah, I'm, I, I've been outside of God's will. I want to tell you that he's always recalculating. He's always saying, okay, well, you missed that turn, but now time to recalculate. Now go back this way. And, and yeah, maybe, maybe you've walked in the wilderness a little longer, or, or, or maybe you've missed out on some of the blessings, but I want to tell you, it's never too late to get back on track with God's will. And all over this room are people who are getting back on track, and their life is resulting in the praise of His glory. Why don't we stand up? Let's give a hand to the Lord. God is so good. He's redeeming our lives. He's changing us. He's transforming us. You have a chance after the service to talk to Russell. He'll be back in the guest cafe with me if you want to meet him and talk with him. But can we just pray right now? Would you just close your eyes with me and just focus in on Jesus? What's he saying to you today? You know, there's some in this room that perhaps you've never let Jesus redeem you. Perhaps you, you know you're still living in sin. And I want to tell you, you'll never be good enough to come to God. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he paid the price for your sins. And his shed blood is what cleanses us and washes us clean. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is a great day to do that. And you can do that by merely calling out and praying to him, asking him to save your soul. If you want to do that today, I want you to just pray this right after I pray it. You can just say this, Jesus. You just repeat that prayer, Jesus. I need you. I know that I've sinned. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a new life.